Um, many of you know, three weeks ago, Naomi and I purchased an apartment, and uh, we'd been looking for one for months, every Saturday. And then the words I'm given to speak on today are these, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust uh, destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And I'm left thinking, is buying a property simply storing up treasures on earth? Is that what this passage is about? I hope we'll find out more today as we reflect upon it. But read all of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' teachings to those who will follow him are unsettling. But it was within this very context that my second observation emerged, which is this. The Sermon on the Mount reminded me of another section of the Bible, uh, which is equally unsettling. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes uh, in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. We read just the first chapter of that uh, this afternoon. Is life really mist and vapour, as the refrain implies? Is there really nothing new under the sun? Ecclesiastes invites us as readers to consider the lived experience of wisdom. Wisdom involves seeing all of life as an arena in which we receive good gifts from a generous God. Uh, Folly involves seeing all of life as a mere scramble for gain. So you have gift versus gain. Wisdom versus folly. Christians believe that the historical figure, Jesus of Nazareth, was the Son of God and the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and that includes the wisdom literature. And this really makes sense as you read the Sermon on the Mount with this framework of wisdom and folly Gift versus gain, right there behind every word. The third observation I had is both Ecclesiastes and Jesus are not simply giving us a list of things to do. Uh, This is not a religious to-do list. Uh, Instead, they are trying to shake our world so that we come out the other side with a completely different perspective on life and our place within it. It's, you know, like a snow globe has to be shaken, shaken up before the beauty is seen. So it is with the experience of reading these words of Jesus. If you read the Sermon on the Mount with the goal of trying to fit it into your lifestyle, you'll emerge from its teachings tired, frustrated, and just burdened. Uh, Because if you're anything like me, the Sermon on the Mount will never fit your lifestyle. That's not its purpose. Its purpose is to shake you into seeing everything differently. To understand and interpret the world around you in a new way. And then to respond, perhaps with an overhaul of lifestyle. So why don't I pray for us and ask that God may help us now as we read this bit of the Sermon on the Mount, that we may understand it and perhaps have wisdom to know how to respond. Let me pray. Uh, Lord and Father, we ask for a work of your Spirit amongst us in our hearts and minds as we reflect on the word of your Son. Speak to us uh, the words we need to hear this afternoon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So today's take-home challenge from Jesus is this. Uh, Prioritise setting your heart, your worship, in the right location. Prioritise setting your heart, your worship, in the right location. As an entry point, I want to draw our attention to the middle paragraph in today's passage, Matthew 6, 22 to 23. Either side of this section, Jesus talks about treasure and then he talks about money. But let's start with this middle chunk. Uh, It's perhaps the most difficult chunk to understand, due in part to it being poetry. And poetry is really hard to translate across different languages. But it begins like this, verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, I wonder how is this metaphor working? The eye is the lamp of the body. Well, the eye, I guess, is related to how we see things. And in its ancient context, uh, the eye is not necessarily the source of illumination, for that's the heart, but it is crucial to the process of illumination. That is, in tandem, your heart and your eyes, metaphorically, uh, shape how you make sense of this world and your place within it. Jesus goes on to teach, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, the word Jesus gives for healthy here is translated in its most general form as singleness. So Jesus says literally, if your eyes are single, your whole body will be full of light. Now, in the ancient Jewish context, when discussed in the, with conjunction of money and goods, this word haplos, single, communicates the sense of generosity and kindness, a single whole person generosity. So you could translate it, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are whole and generous, your whole body will be full of light. Then Jesus goes on to teach, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And here the word for unhealthy, uh, there's two Greek words back to back, which is best translated as evil eye. There was a great Far Side cartoon once with Evil Eye, Mr. Grunfeld, but anyway, for those in the know, uh, Evil Eye. So Jesus is saying, but if you have Evil Eye, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, this Evil Eye phrase in the ancient world uh, was associated with greed, envy, and um, stinginess. An eye that looks at the world solely for gain. How can I gain money, status, power? How can I gain control in this relationship? How can I gain what I want, what I desire? How can I gain greed, envy, stinginess, evil eye? Uh, In Proverbs 23.6, we are warned, do not eat the food of a stingy host. Do not crave his delicacies. And there in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the teacher laments, the eye never has enough of seeing. So in summary, the middle section of this passage is focused on how you and I see the world, how we make sense of the world and our place within it. So you could translate these verses as, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are whole and generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are greedy, envious, just searching for gain, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now this metaphor is a helpful image, I think, for the entire Sermon on the Mount, Uh, not just today's passage. Wisdom sees this world as an arena in which 
we receive good gifts and rewards from God. But the hypocrite, who we read of last week, relentlessly seeks to gain praise and honour from other people. Through elaborate prayers, through fasting, then giving, everything is always on display. And thus, life for them becomes a gain project. And in doing so, they not only become um, fools, I guess, to use a biblical word, but according to Jesus, their very self is plunged into darkness. Wise versus foolish. Gift versus gain. There are certainly a bunch of don'ts and do's in the Sermon on the Mount, but they are not a religious to-do list. I tick the box, I go to heaven. Uh, That's far too one-dimensional for Jesus. Uh, Jesus is casting a whole new way of making sense of your life. And so, in view of this reality, Jesus teaches in verse 19... Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For Jesus, this appears to be a pretty simple equation. Uh, You can invest in something that you'll ultimately lose or you can invest in something that will last forever. But what you can't do is invest in both. Or as Jim Elliott once wrote uh, in his journal before heading off to do mission work in Ecuador, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep uh, to gain what he cannot lose. So let's think a bit more about these treasures uh, that Jesus speaks of. I think we can imagine what treasures on earth may look like, um, but treasures in heaven is a little more difficult, isn't it? Uh, From my reading of the Sermon on the Mount, The act of storing up treasures in heaven means intentionally living in a way that reflects the kingdom of God, most specifically obeying Jesus. Storing up treasures in heaven means intentionally living in a way that reflects the kingdom of God, most specifically obeying Jesus. Now, this is not done in a one-dimensional religious to-do list kind of fashion, but rather it's done because your snow globe has been shaken and how you value and interpret everything has changed. And you are now living out of the new vision that you've received of your life. The more I read and reflected on this passage, uh, the more I became convinced that any extended discussion of what the specific treasure is really misses the mark of what Jesus is on about here. Uh, he actually has a much bigger concern, uh, which is why he concludes, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, the key issue is not specifically the treasure. The issue is actually the state of your heart. That's what Jesus is teaching on here. Uh, I don't think Jesus cares about whether you have money or not, or... I don't think Jesus cares about whether Naomi and I purchased an apartment in Randwick or a house in Mount Cola. I think what he cares about in this section is what has captured our hearts. Because what has captured our hearts will direct our lives. It will direct how we make sense of the world and our place within it. 
It will decide whether we grow in whole person generosity, which is actually just like our Heavenly Father, or whether we are reduced to stingy, greedy-eyed people set only on gain. And so I wonder what, what directs your life. Or um, another way to put it, what has captured your heart? There is one literary character that embodies the life of gain better than any other. It's a character who uh, shows the long-term darkness of a heart being captured by treasures on earth. I have no doubt that the character created by J.R.R. Tolkien was meant to show us the embodiment of this teaching of Jesus. And his name is Gollum. Have you read Lord of the Rings? Or seen the movies? Gollum is the embodiment of the evil eye that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 6, filling a life with only darkness. In the Lord of the Rings, his heart is captured by the ring. It directs his life, his thoughts, his actions. And over time, it transforms him like everything we worship does. But the transformation in Lord of the Rings from Smeagol to Gollum is one that is a clear retreat from true humanity. It is one of darkness, of obeying a master that is driving you towards death. The lifestyle of Sydney in which we live, I think, perhaps not, but I think on the whole is all about gain, isn't it? But more importantly, it's designed to capture your heart and to fool you into thinking a life of gain is indeed the good life. And I guess once your heart has been captured, the actions, the daily decisions, they're kind of small fry, they'll just happen. But Jesus is clear. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So let's pause to think about this practically. Because we all know that you have to earn money to live. Uh, and if you own or run or direct a company, the company must make a profit if you want to survive. I have a strong hunch that this teaching from Jesus is not about what your weekly income is. It's actually about what has captured your heart and who is your master. Some people, I imagine, could be on a million dollar salary and be completely obedient to the teachings of Jesus here because that money hasn't captured their heart. They continue to develop a whole person generosity that is intentionally driven by the coming kingdom of God. Other people could be on a, a real base level salary and be evil-eyed, greedy, envious, stingy, solely driven by gain. Or, of course, those scenarios could be reversed. The question you must ask yourself here today is not necessarily how much do I earn or how much stuff do I have, but rather the question is what is capturing your heart? 
No one can answer that for you. But as a community, as a Christian community, we can help each other ask these questions and give godly and help make godly decisions and actions. You see, the hypocrites, according to Jesus, they always look at outward appearance. So I'm sure sure they could make that judgment very quickly. But Jesus' concern for you is to prioritize setting your heart, your worship, in the right location. For your lives depend upon it. I think this is where Jesus is going in Matthew 6. Now, perhaps for you, this is a timely word. Your eyes and heart perhaps have kind of shifted their focus. Your heart's been captured by something which, to be honest, is really less than Jesus and his kingdom. So this is a timely word. Perhaps today is an encouraging word uh, because over time, Jesus has transformed your vision and your life is continuing to grow out of this new vantage point. Maybe you've made decisions this year based on this new vantage point that comes from knowing and following Jesus. And Jesus' words here are urging you on. But I do wonder, as we sit and read this part of the Sermon on the Mount, but potentially any of the Sermon on the Mount, what may stop us responding positively to these words from Jesus? What may stop us responding positively to these words of Jesus? Um, I had to think about it during the week. I come up with a few. Perhaps one might be this. We, we don't want the snow globe to be shaken. Uh, we want to keep our life exactly as it is and fit Christianity into it. And I resonate with this. As adults, I think we sort of bunker down in our beliefs and practices because, frankly, life's just too tiring to have to keep reassessing and keep changing. What may stop us responding positively to these words of Jesus? Well, one, maybe we just don't want our lives shaken. Secondly, perhaps we just don't trust the words of Jesus. Uh, We don't trust him. We like Jesus. Uh, We admire Jesus. We align ourselves with Jesus, but we don't trust him. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving us a vision of the good life, But do you trust him? Because it's a really different vision of the good life to the one we've been given in Australia. So this Sermon on the Mount kind of represents a risk. What may stop us responding positively to these words from Jesus? We don't want our lives to be shaken and changed. We don't actually trust the words of Jesus. Or third, we'd prefer to bank our lives and happiness on possessions, money, things. Uh, This is similar, I guess, to not trusting Jesus, but it's kind of the other side of the coin. It may be less about Jesus and more about the grip our possessions and lifestyle has on our heart. And we say, I know you can't worship both God and money, but I'm going to try. There are reasons to ignore these words from Jesus. You might be feeling some of those. So why would you bother listening to and responding seriously to Jesus' words? That's a good question to ask. Why would you bother listening to and responding seriously to these words from Jesus? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. 
Uh, when I got married, I quit smoking and regular daily drinking. It was at the urging of my wife. And I hated it. It took me three years, two counsellors, prayer and Christian fellowship. And even now, I have to continue my vigilance. Why did she request I do such a thing? Uh, because she loves me. And those things were killing me. Think Gollum. Jesus, the Son of God, the resurrected ruler of the universe, loves you. He loves us collectively, but individually, he loves you. And he knows you. <laughs> it says he knows every hair on your head. And he knows that if possessions and money capture your heart, they will kill you. Your heart and soul and mind and emotions will atrophy. And ultimately he knows that you cannot worship both him and money. And only one will lead you to true, full, generous humanity. He loves you. And in his generous way, our Lord Jesus has given you these words. Prioritize setting your heart, your worship in the right location. They are loving words from our powerful Lord and Saviour Jesus. So I'm going to pray and just ask that God's Spirit may move each one of us to do just that. Let me pray. Our Lord and Father, move us towards you wherever we are this afternoon. We ask that your Spirit will capture our hearts and that we may see the risen Jesus who is ruling today and his kingdom of love and grace, we may see that everywhere, that you may help us interpret our lives in new ways, new values, wherever we need to act, reflect or change. Lord, please give us the strength and courage to do that. And please help us to be a community which help each other in this amazing journey. In your name we pray. Amen.